whatever it is in our lives, God, that's keeping us from you, the thing that we think is insurmountable in our life. Knock it down, we pray. In the name of Jesus, whose love knocks down every wall. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Aaron. I have the privilege of serving on the team here at Real Life, and I'm so excited that you are here this morning. How's 2020 going for everybody? Everybody having a good 2020 so far? So good? How many of you guys made a resolution this year? Let me see your hand if you made a resolution. How many of you guys are still keeping your resolution? (laughs) Confession. I stopped making resolutions because third week in January... Other things seemed better than the resolution I made the first week in January, so I stopped making resolutions. Um, I want to give you a quick update real quick on our pastoral search process. Some of you guys know that uh, we have um, our lead pastor left in October, so since then we've been in the process of looking for a new lead pastor, and that's still a process that we're working through our district superintendent, who's going to be here next week. You won't want to miss his message. He's probably going to give us some more updates and things like that. But he's leading that process um, for us and our church board. Um, and we're just, we're working the steps right now. I've had a lot of people ask me over the last few weeks where we are in the process. And unfortunately, with the holidays and everything that's been going on in people's lives over the last few weeks, not a whole lot has changed in the process since before the holiday. But I know we're we're working the steps, and, and part of what we're doing today, the board elections, is just part of that process. So I encourage you, if you're a member, um, take a look at that ballot, vote for board members. Um, be sure to do that after the service today. But I think that we have to be people who are trusting God in the process. Finding a new lead pastor is a big thing, a big void to fill in any church, and right now we just have to trust the process that God is leading us through. So we're going to continue to take steps, and we'll keep you updated as they happen, but let's just trust the process. I've been a pastor in a couple different churches, and let me just tell you, it is a unique, unique job. It's a very strange job. It's a great job, very fulfilling job, but it is a strange position to be in. And the reason is, is because in most cases, you move to an area where you've never been, you start interacting with people you have never met before in your life, and you're usually never around your family. You've moved away from your family to accept this calling that God has placed on your life, and you're not around any of your family. So it is really a unique position to be in. And when I picture, when I uh, think about our next lead pastor, whoever God might have for us out there, I think about this. I think about our church, us, you and me, becoming a family for whoever that next person is. 
Because you and I, we're all part of the family of God. And I just want to be able to come around this person's family and be an extended family to them. I want to be in a place where we love and support not only whoever our pastor is, but also their family, their spouse. I want their spouse to be excited when they come to church on Sunday. If they have kids, I want their kids to be excited about being at church on Sunday. Not only do I want real life to be their church, and I want them to feel excited about being here, but I want Portage to be their city, and I want Northwest Indiana to be their region, and that starts with you and I being a family for them. So just continue to pray for whoever God might have for us in the process. Continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for each other as we go through that process. Continue to pray for our church board as we think about who that person might be. And just continue to pray that we would be people that would trust God's process. All right? All right. (laughs) Moving on. Anybody out there like me, you in high school or in college, you were a terrible test taker. Anybody? Anybody want to say, I was really bad at taking tests. I was, I was not very good at taking tests. And there's probably a number of reasons why I wasn't very good at taking tests. But for whatever reason, I was not very good at taking tests. And I remember sitting down for those big tests, ACT, SAT, whatever those tests might be, Sitting there with my number two pencil, I still have no idea why the number two pencil is the pencil. So if you have the answer for that, please, after the service, find me and tell me why the number two pencil is the pencil that you use for those tests. Anyway, I remember sitting there with my number two pencil and the teacher walking by and slapping down on the desk in front of me this magazine-sized test. Not a very good feeling. I remember my stomach and my heart would just sink when I would see that test. And then I would open it up, and then I would look inside, and there was all these blanks. And these were all answers that I was supposed to know. For a lot of them, I had no idea. My least favorite blank on any test was the circle blank. Anybody remember the circle blank? Any teachers out there that, that know what I'm talking about? The circle blank, where you answer it, you have to fill in the little circle. Because at the top of the test, not only did you have to know the right answer, but you had to fill in the circle perfectly. It's like, if you do it like this, that doesn't count. If it's not filled enough, it doesn't count. If it's outside the lines very much, that doesn't count. It has to be perfectly filled in with your number two pencil. Anybody remember the circle blank? Oh yeah, my least favorite kind of blank. And I remember sitting there with my test, knowing that I should know these answers. And somewhere along the line, somebody told me, and I don't remember who it was, hopefully they had good intentions when they told me, but they told me that if you don't know the answer, to always guess C. If you don't know the answer, 
always gassy. I don't know if anybody else has heard this or not, but I certainly remember hearing it. So on some of my tests, long strands of C going down the page. Oh, I can remember those days vividly. But I remember staring at these blanks and thinking to myself, I should know all the right answers. And I would look around at everybody around me, and it would be like, man, everybody else has all the answers, knows all the answers, knows what's going on, and there's me left staring with my number two pencil at the circle blank. Seemed like I was way off track, and everybody else had all the answers. Anybody else feel like their New Year's a little bit like that? Our scripture today is from Galatians chapter 1, and it's going to be on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can look at your Bible, you can use your smartphone. But Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 2, says this. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends, that pretends to be good news, but it is not good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one you were preached to. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches other good news other than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, was a missionary, which means he traveled and started churches in, in different areas. So he was a missionary who started a church in the region of Galatia. Most people seem to think that he traveled to that region and started churches around the year 45 or 48 A.D., and most people think that in order to start these churches, he had to travel about 300 miles. And believe it or not, back then, there was no planes, there was no trains, there was not even an Uber back then, no smartphone that he could bring up and bring it alive to the Galatia, whatever. No, he had to travel by walking, by camel, by, I don't even know what they used to travel back then, but he had to travel 300 miles miles to get to these people, to start these churches, to preach the gospel that he deep down believed could change people's lives. 
while he was there preaching, he started a lot of churches, and there were a lot of people that said yes to following Jesus. Because of Paul's message, a lot of people said yes to following Jesus. But most of these people were non-Jewish people. Some of the first people that started following Jesus were Jewish followers of Jesus. So they knew all the Jewish rules, laws, and customs. And so they held to those customs even though they started following Jesus. But these people that Paul preached to were some of the first non-Jewish Christians. So they weren't familiar with any of the laws or customs in the Jewish faith. So Paul leaves all these new followers of Jesus, all these new churches that had started out of his ministry in the region of Galatia. Paul leaves, and a couple years later, he writes this letter back to these churches and these new followers of Jesus. He writes this letter back to them. And this letter is like a really long rant, really long Facebook rant, because this letter was born out of frustration and anger that was starting in Paul's heart. Because there were some people that had moved into the region after Paul had left and began teaching and telling these new followers of Jesus who were non-Jewish people, so they weren't familiar with the rules and the customs of the Jewish faith. They moved into the region after Paul, and they said, listen, in order for you to really be a Christian, in order for you to really be a follower of Jesus, you have to adopt and follow the rules and the laws of our Jewish faith. So all of a sudden, these new followers of Jesus, who Paul preached to a couple years prior, began to believe a different kind of gospel than what Paul had preached to them a few years before. They were told that in order for your faith to be complete, you have to believe all of these things as well. And all of a sudden, they started seeing all of these blanks in their faith. They started seeing all these blanks in their faith. And so Paul writes this letter back to them because they started to buy into the message that in order for their faith to be complete... They had to fill in all of these blanks. But the message that Paul left them with was that the only way to a new life was through Jesus and Jesus alone. But now they have all of these blanks. 
I think there's a couple different ways that we can look at these people in the scripture. We can look at them and go, well, that was, that was a problem for them back then. But you know what? As 21st century people, we have it all figured out. We don't have the same issues as people back then had. We're much more sophisticated and smart. There's a couple different ways we can look at it. Or we can look at the lives of these people and we can say, you know what? We have some of the same struggles that they had. You see, our blanks in our lives can be self-inflicted or we could have been hurt by somebody who said, you know what? In order to be anything, you have to fill out these blanks. You have to have all the answers. But whatever the case may be, some of us are staring at blanks in our lives and we're left paralyzed. There's some of us in here that all we see is the blank. And every new year, there's a new blank that we're staring at. And we're determined that we're going to make anything fit into that blank. We're going to force whatever it is in to that blank. Maybe for you, it's being a better parent. Maybe for you, it's being a, a harder worker. Maybe it's being healthier, wealthier, happier, whatever the case may be. You're staring at this blank and trying to figure out what it is you're going to cram into this blank. For some of you, You're staring at the blank, and you're just resigned to the fact that 2020 is just going to be exactly like 2019, and that's going to be just exactly like 2018, and that's going to be just like 2017, and we're just going to put in that blank whatever's been on repeat for the last few years. Broken, loser, hopeless, addict, unworthy, whatever the case may be, that's what our blank is going to be for 2020. And we live the same year over and over and over again. For some of us, we see the blank, and then we want to add Jesus on at the end of our blank, whatever that might be. And that's the same issue that the church in Galatia ran into. The church in Galatia believed that Jesus was just a nice little add-on to their faith, but really for their faith to be complete... They had to do this, and they had to do this, and they had to do this, and they had to do this. And Jesus was just a little add-on 
to whatever blank they were trying to fill. And for some of us, that sounds familiar. Some of you may have grown up in a culture that said, in order for your faith in Jesus to be complete, you have to follow all of these rules. You have to know all the right answers. You have to do and say all the right things. And that included a list of things that you couldn't do as well. And it was never just about finding new life and freedom in Christ. You believe that in order for your faith to be complete, your life has to be cleaned up, squared away, or figured out. And then you can add Jesus on at the end. For some of you, a lot of times myself included, I want to put into the blank whatever I think gives my life purpose. That might be your job, that might be your family, that might be your kids, that might be your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your money, your truck. But you want to make that your blank and then add a little Jesus on at the end. Whatever gives you a sense of purpose. If anybody has handed you a gospel and said, this is what you need to do to make your faith complete. And there's a list of things that you have to do that you think, that you believe, you have to make your, your faith complete, whether that's following rules, regulations. If you think you have to get your life squared away, cleaned up, figured out, whatever the case may be, if that is you today, I want you to know that that is not the gospel at all. If you think you have to fill in a series of blanks to be right with God, that's not the case. Because you are a beloved son or daughter, not because of the blanks that you can fill, but because of what Jesus has already done for you. And I think that's the message that Paul gave the church in Galatia. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, because it's you and I and other people in our lives 
that give us these blanks that we have to fill. But it's the message of the gospel that says Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus came to fill the blanks in our lives, even the ones that you and I manufacture. If I had a hope for myself and for you in 2020, it's that you would know in your life that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I want to give you a couple of tools today that will help remind you every day that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That it's not about the blanks that you can fill in your life, but that Jesus has filled all the blanks for you. The first one is solitude. Solitude is not something that we think about a lot, and it might not be something that you do or practice a lot, but it's something that Christians for years have practiced in order to remind themselves that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. See, being alone and being quiet is really kind of scary for a lot of us, myself included. Because it's through our words and our actions that we try very hard to fill all the blanks in our lives. But solitude is all about decreasing the volume and the demand in your life so that you can remember that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This Christmas, my son got a hoverboard. Has anybody ridden on one of the hoverboards before? Let me just tell you that it's really easy for kids, but it's impossible for adults. I don't know why. I jumped on it, and it was like I was going to crash and break an arm. But I was not very good on the hoverboard. But I don't remember. A couple years ago, everybody remember when hoverboards were exploding in people's houses? Anybody remember that? The battery would blow up and would cause a big hole in the side of your house. Anybody remember that? So my kids got this hoverboard for Christmas, but everyone was freaked out about the battery blowing up. So my kids would ride the hoverboard for a few minutes, and then the battery would start to die, and it starts beeping really loud, and it's super annoying. And so they would run, run to the outlet, and they would plug it in really fast, and then it would charge. And then they would, let it, they would literally let it charge for like five minutes, and then they would unplug it, 
and they would start writing it again, write it for a few minutes, and then the battery would start to die again. And this is still a rhythm that we're living in at my house. But a lot of us, that's how we live our lives. God is a connection that we run to to get a little bit of a charge, and then we go back to to living our lives and trying to fill all these blanks, and then we go off on our own, we do our own thing, and then we need a little bit of a charge, and we go back and we plug in, and we go off and do our own thing, try to fill our own blanks, and then we run back to God, and we plug in, then then we go off again, try to fill our own blanks, and but we are not battery-powered people. That's not how we're designed. It's not how we're meant to live our lives. We're meant to have constant connection with our Creator. And that begins in solitude. That begins in solitude. The next one is... Confession. Now, I know for some of you, confession might sound like a dirty word, something that's very scary. And I understand that for the background of some of you, that might be the case, whether that was because of your faith background or maybe you confessed something to somebody that you trusted and that didn't go well. You thought you would be loved and received, instead you were rejected. And I understand that can be, that can be a tough thing to live through. But done in the context of a loving relationship, confession can be life-giving. I'm not super good. I'm not good at all. I'm not good at all at home repair. My wife doesn't even let me hang pictures in the house. So, you know, I'm not, not very good at home repair. So if you need something done around your house, don't ask me. Pay to have somebody do it, okay? That's my, that's my philosophy for home repair. Pay someone to do it. So, but my wife this week decided that we're going to paint our bedroom. And part of the process of painting your bedroom, you want to go around your room, see if there's any holes or cracks you need to fill. And one of the things I love doing around the house is I love spackling. It's one of my favorite jobs to do. In fact, we ha- I think we have a picture of my, one of my spackle jobs. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. That's, that's beautiful. It's a great spackle job. But... Sorry, I was lost in admiration. Um, spackling, we, we try to fill in all the cracks and the holes around our, our room. We want to make it look nice and pretty again. But confession is the tool that removes the layers of spackle that we've used to cover all the cracks and holes in our lives and our hearts so that nobody can see them, not even God. And confession's a tool that, that begins to remove those layers so that God can create something new.
The last one is this. Empower. Sometimes we just need somebody in our lives that will remind us who we are in Christ. So I would encourage you to empower someone in your life who will remind you that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, a lot of us face a lot of different blanks every single day, every single month, every single year. We see these blanks in our lives and we begin to doubt who we are in Christ and think that in order to be anything, we have to fill these blanks in our lives. But a lot of us don't have anybody that in our life that is empowered to remind us who we are in God. So this new year, I would just encourage you to find a friend, a person of peace for you, somebody that you love and who wants the best for you. Empower them to remind you that you are a beloved daughter or son of God. And that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I want to leave you with this today. Paul brings it all together in this letter that he wrote to the church in chapter 3. He brings it all together when he says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, there are no more blanks. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray. God, we are people who a lot of times can only see the areas of our life that are blank. God, and we try so hard to fill that with whatever we think is best. God, I pray this week we can come before you and we can give these blanks in our lives to you and say, God, we trust you. We want our lives to be about Jesus plus nothing equals everything. God, I pray for my friends here today 
who are staring at these blanks. I pray that they can empower someone in their life to remind them of your love and who they are in you. Go with us today. I pray in the name of Jesus who fills every blank. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. You are dismissed.